0: Welcome to High Truths on Drugs and Addiction, where national experts bring you facts and answer your questions. I'm your host, Dr. Onit Lev, an emergency and addiction doctor who has worked at the White House and still practices on the front lines. Right here on High Truths, you will learn from experts, hear stories from the emergency department and listen to people who have struggled from addiction. Each episode, we will answer questions from you, our listeners. To learn more about the show, submit a question, access educational material, or even take a quiz, you can visit us on Hightruths.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Families Against Fentanyl, FAF, is an organization set on breaking the status quo of failed solutions and to get to the core supply chain of deadly fentanyl. Learn more by visiting familiesagainstfentanyl.org and sign their petition to declare illegal fentanyl, a weapon of mass destruction. Hi, everyone. Let's talk about supply and demand. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? The chicken and egg metaphor are used as a causality dilemma. In drugs, what is more critical, the supply of drugs coming from across our borders or the demand for drugs from our citizens? Let's look at history to learn. During the Vietnam War, some of our troops were exposed to heroin and became addicted. And yet when they returned home, their heroin addiction ended. Speaking to America's drug czar during the Vietnam War, it is clear that heroin availability was limited in the United States, and therefore heroin did not follow our troops home from Vietnam. There was lack of supply. Fast forward to the prescription opioid epidemic, the driver of overdose deaths was a supply of prescriptions, peaking in 2013. The drugs were infused by the medical community, myself included. Today prescription pain pills are no longer the leading cause of overdoses. Ending the supply of prescription opioids ended that epidemic. In the beginning of this century, deaths from illicit fentanyl did not exist. Today. Fentanyl is a driver of all overdose deaths. Today, methamphetamine use is almost considered normal for people who are homeless. Supply matters. Addressing the causes of addiction in terms of genetics, adverse childhood events, and filling a void is important. Providing treatment with compassion and eliminating stigma for care is crucial. However, supply matters. It matters a lot. And scientifically speaking, the egg came before the chicken. It's not such a big dilemma. And with that mini monologue, let's hear our high truth questions for the day.
1: Thank you, Dr. Lev, for your high truths podcasts um, and taking my question. Uh, this is Jim Crittenden. I'm the coordinator of alcohol, tobacco, and other drug use at the San Diego County Office of Education. And, I, and I'm wondering what kind of changes we've seen over the last six years or so between the writing of, of Dreamland and, and The Least of Us. I know from an education perspective. or working with youth. We've certainly seen a shift from you know the old adage of kids getting getting opioids from their parents or grandparents' medicine cabinets to really um, a shift in the in counterfeit pills. Um, we know that teens aren't you know for the most part not taking fentanyl intentionally. It's the counterfeit pills. So the shift we've seen is is really towards the counterfeit pills, and we're seeing more deaths now among young people that we didn't see six years ago. So I'm wondering what other changes. Um, Um, Mr. Quinones has has seen over over the same uh, six-year period.
0: Thank you, Jim. It is an excellent question for our special high-truth expert and acclaimed author. Sam Quinones, is a Los Angeles-based freelance journalist, former LA Times reporter, and author of four books of narrative nonfiction. In 2015, he published the best-selling book, Dreamland, The True Tale of the American Opiate Epidemic which awakened the country to nationwide scourge of addiction to opioids and heroin. His latest book, The Least of Us, True Tales of America and Hope in the Time of Fentanyl and Meth, which chronicles how the epidemic has evolved from opioids into synthetic drugs. Sam's bio and contact information are posted on the High Truths show notes. Sam Quinones, welcome to High Truths. It's such a delight to have you, and an honor to be one of the first to talk with you since the release of *The Least of Us*. It must be very exciting for you to complete a major project.
1: <laughs> yes, it's um, uh, a little like running a, a marathon. Frankly, you're just exhausted, and your brain's shot, and um, But it's certainly, uh, you know, I love the life and I love the work. And so it's not like I hated it for certain, certain, certainly it's just, um, it is a ton of work you walk around for three years, like with the big, big, something big on your back, you know, now it's gone. So that feels good.
0: That's great. Um, Yeah. Like you gave birth to this wonderful new Uh book.
1: For three years I was pregnant. (laughs) That's right. (laughs)
0: Um, And you're, book is called the least of us and tell us about the inspiration behind that title
1: sure um it really uh, grew i think from what i was doing with dreamland the book that i wrote prior to this and the least of us is a kind of a a, i'm not it's a follow-up but it's really its own story um but but it does have roots in in dreamland and um that was about the opioid epidemic and pain pill prescribing and heroin traffickers figuring out that this that was creating a new market for their dope and that kind of stuff, and that's what I thought the story was when I started Dreamland. It was very compartmentalized and compact and it was going to be, you know, I. But as time went on, what I came to realize that, that was that it was um, the story was deeper than that much deeper, and that I I would do well to recognize that fact. And and so I began to dig into all the different ways that it was, you know, I I believe it's, for example, connected very deeply to our uh, really a kind of a nationally kind of a destruction of community, isolation, and that kind of thing. It's also um, connected, I think, to the idea, um, the opioid epidemic was that we wanted big, splashy, sexy answers to our problems and so what do we for the problem of human pain a very very complex thing involving the brain the central nervous system uh what do we get we get one pill for everybody and it's going to solve all our pain and there was almost this messianic fervor in the 80s into the certainly in by the the 1990s that infected a lot of folks saying we're going to end pain forever and we're by just giving pill. Well, there's one kind of pill to almost everybody, regardless of their background or their family history or on and on, all that kind of stuff. Mistake. And I, and I began to think, you know, part of this is that we we kind of, we want it big, we want it, and, and really humans change and we achieve um, positive, productive change by working in very, very small things and very small on 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 things that we can manage it locally and on our neighborhood level, within our family, uh, this kind of thing. And it made me start thinking uh, of, um, I, I read the Bible during this time. I'm not a Christian, but I, I read the book of Matthew, particularly the book of Matthew, in which Matthew's Jesus says, uh, that what you do for the least of my brethren you do for me. And I began to think of how powerful that idea was and that how we had gotten away from it in many, many ways. Um, uh, just in a way of who we admire, wealthy athletes, wealthy um, uh, executives, wealthy, everybody has got to be big and splashy and sexy when the real people doing the work are really at the uh, in, in the unnoticed, unheralded uh, parts of this uh, of this country. And so I kind of set out to write a book, obviously about the major trends in in drug trafficking now, which are extraordinarily important to every American coast to coast, every city, every town, every street, I believe. But along the way, I didn't want it just to be about that. I wanted it to be about the smallest, the least stories, the people doing community repair on the smallest, most unheralded, non-sexy way, because I believe that is how we, we make productive change and move forward. And that is how we best uh, uh, confront and approach these, these extraordinarily powerful uh, and deadly drugs that are that are on our street. And so that is kind of a little bit how it all how the least of us came to be the title, because it seems to me that, that, that we, be, we do well to focus on the least of us, the least of us within us, what is, the, you know, the, the smallest parts of us, the least of us within a neighborhood, the the least of us within a town, um, seemed to me the, to, to, to encapsulate a lot of what I was trying to say.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. So you Sammy wrote another masterpiece work that really touches America. I encourage everyone to read it, "The Least of Us," and if you like Dreamland, you will not want to miss on the continued saga. Um, this high Truths episode. Um, Uh, The question comes from Jim Creedon, who works in education, and he asks, how has the issue of drugs changed in six years between writing Dreamland in 2015 and The Least of Us in 2021? Some things are much worse, like the death toll, but some things have improved.
1: Yes, and I would say that that's kind of the two parts to this next next book, The Least of Us. On the one hand, you find that the drug trafficking world has taken over as the Almost entirely, to a great degree, the source of, of drug supply used to be in the opioid epidemic. The source of supply was really doctors' prescription pads. Um, that has changed. Now those the opioid painkillers may still be prescribed a little too much, I think, perhaps, but certainly they've come down significantly since the the days when I was writing uh, Dreamland. However. Um, the the underworld has taken up the slack, and now most of the drugs that are, and particularly the drugs that are doing the gravest damage to us as a as a country, um, fentanyl and methamphetamine, of course, they're all provided by 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 the underworld. So you have seen, um, and and they they have, and those two drugs are symbolic of where we're headed in terms of drug consumption and drug drug uh, uh, drug dealing and so on. And that is, we are now in a, in the the era of of synthetic. Drugs, And we can talk about, about more about why that is. But at the same time, I have to say um, something that was very striking, very unexpected to me after Dreamland came out was the amount of awareness it began to create and the kind of the, the grassroots um, movements, you might say, although not terribly organized, but nevertheless movements of people um, uh, 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 saying, uh, let's, let's, uh, let's deal with this. We have to deal with this. And, and that was a stunning thing to watch because when I was writing Dreamland, I was overwhelmed by the fact that nobody wanted to talk about it. It was very quiet. If it wasn't a cop or a public health um, uh, 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 administrator or nurse, you couldn't really find people to talk. The, the media, in, except for in a few few areas, really didn't talk much about it. Politicians didn't, almost didn't understand it sometimes. Um, and whatever the case, you would find families especially, and this was the, cru- the crux of it, families especially of, of addicts, mothers, daughters, sons, uncles, whatever, were so mortified, so unwilling to talk about it, very much like the early days of the AIDS Epidemic. I always liken it to that when the you remember when the, the first AIDS obituary Very started shame. coming out. It was leukemia. He died of leukemia. No HIV. Right, no AIDS. Right. None of that. You know. Yeah. And so now, what you're finding, what you, what I've found is that there's an enormous knowledge and awareness of what of, of this issue. And um, when I put on my uh, my subtitle to Dreamland was the true tale of America's opiate epidemic. Because the awareness of this problem was so deep that, and, and, and so, so coast to coast, really, that if I used the word opioid, nobody would have known what that is. Now, everybody uses that word. It's a very common word. You see it in headlines. You see it in news stories. You see people using it all the time. But at the time, I realized that if I use that word, no one would know. Everybody knew, knows what an opiate is. Nobody had a clue what an opioid was. That's, that just didn't, didn't ring a bell with anybody but of course, now that's that's kind of one tiny barometer of how awareness of this problem has changed and, and, and therefore how uh, priorities, I think, have changed as well.
0: Yeah, I think um, we made a lot of progress. I would actually say that our prescription opioid epidemic has ended. I mean, the driver mm-hmm. of, of direct. I mean, physicians are just not prescribing uh, as much um, as some people say not even enough, but you know, there's a, I call it the gold. Well, there's that
1: argument too. Sometimes that's right. right. Yeah.
0: Goldilocks uh, method sure. of prescribing, not too much, not too little. It has that's to be just right. True. <laughs> and um, we've increased treatment. Stigma is moving in the right direction. Medical schools are teaching residents about the issue of addiction. And so I think we've made a lot of progress. And despite all that, it's so defeating because um, with that progress, we still have more deaths and we just can't catch up with all that treatment that is required. We're not plugging the hole or the faucet of initiating use. Um, and we still have such a problem.
1: Um, right. and, you- and, 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 yeah. And I think that a lot of that has to do with the vast, vast supplies of drugs that are coming in from Mexico. It's just, and, and, and it's not just the vast supplies that are coming in. These are the most deadly, in the case of fentanyl, the most mind-mangling, in the case of meth, drugs that we have ever seen, and they are cheap beyond belief, um, and they are relentless, and they are coast-to-coast, right? It's not like the days of, uh, again, this is the days of synthetic drugs. You can make synthetic drugs all year round if two things are true. Mm -hmm. If you control law enforcement, which the trafficking world does to, to the degree it needs to, uh, which is pretty effectively. And, and, uh, you, and if you have access to uh, chemical enough chemicals uh, to make these drugs in a lab, because this is, this is the great realization that they've been coming to gradually over the culture of, of drug trafficking in Mexico. If you produce drugs in a lab, you don't need land. You don't care if it's raining or sunny outside. You don't need farmers. You don't need pesticides. You're not exposed to helicopters and whatever coming over. You put it in a lab and all you really care about, you don't care about land. You care about shipping ports. Because the shipping ports are where you are going to get access to the world's chemical market. And if you can get access to that and you have control of the ports and then you have control of law enforcement, you can get as much of those chemicals as you need to produce what we are seeing today in America, which is ungodly quantities, just staggering, staggering, boggles the mind sometimes. to think of how they're able to supply so much dope um, coast to coast. So the price drops and keeps dropping and dropping. Um, You can do that. You can make those, those drugs year. Round And that is the issue we are facing as a country right now, that the supply is relentless, it's deadlier and more damaging to a human brain than ever, ever before. And it's coming in quantities that we have never, ever seen. That is the the nutshell.
0: And that, And really, that's another thing that really changed, you said, from Dreamland to the least of us, is the distribution. And in Dreamland, you made the analogy of pizza delivery. But now, like you said, you know, why spend two years growing a coca plant when you could just uh, yeah. make it a lot cheaper and easier in a warehouse?
1: Right. And that is what's going on now. The, the, the guys that I wrote about in Dreamland are probably still in business. The truth is they don't matter anymore, though. That's the thing that they they, they mattered to me because they were the, they were the pioneers. They weren't the only traffickers of heroin from Mexico. But they were because of their system and because they were all from the t- same town, they could. when they competed, they couldn't kill each other. So they had to find new markets. They were all constantly very expansionary. And they just happened to land in Columbus, Ohio in 1998, two years after OxyContin comes on the market. And a few of them recognize the market for what it really is, an enormous gold mine forming in the distance. And, and they, they exploited it because they had the system and they have endless amounts of labor coming up from Mexico, from towns nearby and so on. And, and and that's why I focused on them because they were the pioneers. They were the first ones to see, recognize, and then systematically exploit the coming market for heroin that all those pain pills uh, represented. Um, But since then the other many things have changed but one of them is that they really are they were major players in their day in every market they they were in they were significant contributors to the drug supply in those areas. And now they simply aren't anymore. There's just, they're continuing to work, but they don't matter as much because everybody's involved in it. So many people are involved in the United States, so many more involved in Mexico. And it's just like they, they, their day kind of, they're still making money. Some of them, I'm sure, um, but they don't matter because the you market know, now is exploded. It's it's thousands and thousands of people, in on um, both sides of the border. And it's just much larger than anything uh, they were involved in uh, back in the late 90s into the 2000s.
0: It, you know what, when you say that, it makes me think of social media, how we used to have, you know, only yeah. a few TV stations and a few markets for news. And now everybody's got their own um, world, podcast. <laughs>
1: the drug world is very much like, like- like like like, a little bit like social media it's also a little bit like you know a gold rush once one person starts making money there's there's no licensing there's no trademarks or copyright you can get into the business as easily as 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 you get into anything uh, if you don't mind the threat of going to jail and so um that's what has happened it's just such a very large um market now and we created it honestly with this brand new market of people uh, a lot of younger people, a lot of people with money um, uh, by, with, through the opioid epidemic and then um, the, the underworld stepped in and said yeah, we'll take it from here kind of you know what I mean so and they, yeah. that's what they that's what they have done out of Mexico obviously relying on supply routes on immigrant populations uh, just like any mafia, the Italian mob did the same wherever there were Italians, there was an Italian mafia. well, the same thing is true of Mexican drug trafficking um and, and they've just taken advantage of all though that infrastructure if you like to call it that our highways our money wiring systems and all that stuff and and they've kind of um uh and now they, they have a, a, brought these drugs like n- n- nationwide really
0: you you focus on mexico because you um you've spent a lot of time there but it also is coming from canada right
1: um, I would say not very much. Yes, I'm sure some has come in from Canada. Not, I think the, 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 that's not the story, though. The big story really is Mexico. I, I'm, I'd be surprised if 10% of our, our illegal drugs. I mean, it depends which drug you're talking about, I suppose. But I, I think I'd be surprised if 10% of our drugs, uh, the fentanyl and methamphetamine, I'm pretty sure no methamphetamines come in from is made in Canada anymore. Right. Um, it may come from Mexico up to Canada, then come south, I guess, maybe. But truthfully, uh, you know, I, I don't see Canada. Uh, Canada has the same issues we have, it just in much, much smaller um, uh, scale. And so, no, I would say that, they, yes, Canada uh, is, is to some degree uh, this issue, but I would say that um, the, real, the real game is Mexico. The real story is Mexico.
0: Now, both Dreamland and The Least of Us, you featured Walmart. Um, and shoplifting is a way of paying for addiction. I yeah. happen to love shopping at Walmart. Um, is
1: there,
0: a, <laughs> is there a specific issue with Walmart?
1: Um, well, what I was trying to do with, with some of that was to say, first of all, it's, it's, it's important. I think when you, when you analyze a drug market in a certain area, it's made up of people. Okay, and so you, I spent a lot of time trying to understand who, who started this, who did this, who did that. You know, I happened to be the, the way I got onto this story. I happened to be in the town of Portsmouth, Ohio, which is where the Dreamland Pool, which I named the 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 the, the earlier book after, uh, exist uh, once existed. Mm-hmm. Um, and and in Portsmouth, uh, there's not now a lot of a lot of things going on there. there a lot of people have left. The businesses have dried up. Main Street is a shell. Uh, for a long time, the steel factory left, all these different things left. And so what they really have in town is a Walmart. Um, and and um, so my question is, well, how do people who get addicted fund their drug addiction? And um, I found over and over, and oh, I'm telling you, there's there's a significant body yeah. of people who can tell you all about this, this connection, that the way you fund your drug addiction is through Walmart, Walmart for a few reasons. One is that Walmart has replaced main street. So you can get everything you needed on main street in a Walmart. Frequently you are dealing with small time dealers who have families who have needs, and they will tell you what to steal in order for you to get the drugs for them from them. So TVs, children's shoes, T-bone steaks, electronics of a wide variety, um, you know, hardware tools and whatnot. What, what the only place you can really go is Walmart. Even in areas, though, where there are other places you can steal from, so many people told me how easy it was to rip. So what you have is, over a period, my, my, my intention was also to understand how we have destroyed community. Well, in a town where there's a vibrant main street, where everybody's store is locally owned, all the, the the owners and the managers they know who to look out for. They know who not to let in their store. Somebody who's known, and they all are there, actively protecting their store. So at the same time as a town like Portsmouth and many 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 other towns, okay, um, has has um, uh, 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 lost its main street. Folks who would support the local junior high you know, theater group, whereas Walmart would not. So the, the local Little League, all these like butcher shops and clothing shops and shoe stores and on and on and on the same thing that kind of populated the typical main street they're all gone. You have a big gaping hole where that they leave in, in your community's ability to fend for itself and fend off some of these things. And at the same time, you have Walmart taking their place, Walmart, w- which 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 doesn't necessarily allow people to shoplift, but my goodness, it's so easy to do. I've been in Walmart several times when I could have just walked out with whatever I had yeah. without anybody saying anything to me. And that's when you have a drug problem, that is a major source of the drug revenue. I really believe this problem would not. Do you know, do you know who I think
0: is funding the drugs of America? I- What's that? I think government is. I think yeah, our government no. is paying for addiction in the, in the back end, clearly, and with the health costs and societal costs and crime costs, but yeah. also in the front end, with, um, we're actually paying for those drugs with the disability checks and COVID checks. I've, I've, oh, well, that's, 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 that's what that, I've seen. That is
1: also, yeah, sure. And so all of this, to me, makes me feel that, that one area we need to focus on, prevention is first. I don't think we move anywhere without a very serious thought given to how we prevent this stuff in the first place. And that's where community repair, in my opinion, is, is, is so, so, so important. Um, But also um, we need to understand that the, that a big part of this is the treat, nobody gets treated uh, with success and, and gets it not nobody, but very few people get, get treated with success. If every time they come out, they're being, Inundated with the most dangerous, deadly, mind-mangling drugs uh, right. we've ever seen on yeah. our street, and so that cannot—that has to be a, a fundamental part of what we what we do, and that su- people have to understand. The supply is huge, and we now na- and have to understand also. We live if we live next to two Canadas, we wouldn't be having—I don't believe—the problem that we have with the supply. We don't, you know. Yeah. So I
0: I agree with you. I think that that's very important. You can't just you know, collect buckets of water without closing the faucet.
1: Without close, yeah, yeah, and we're repairing yeah. the, the holes in the boat. You know, yeah. that's kind of what yep. we're doing, and we're right. trying to do. And and at the same time, I would say this, uh, and I put this. This is also uh, uh, talk about this in the book, the the least of us. We have an extraordinary role in this in this in creating what's going on down in Mexico. And people like to point to our drug demand. I think far more important is the the quantities of guns that go south uh, from the United States to Mexico. It's quite an amazing uh, thing that's gone on for years. Those guys have armed themselves with our guns, Um, guns that have been bought very easily, far too easily, if you ask me, from um, stores and gun shows Uh. and whatnot. And, And all of that is going south. And um, is arming now those folks now, of course, can get their weapons elsewhere in international markets, but I think the most easily obtained uh, guns are are continue to be uh, from the United States and that's that's what arms them to allow them to make drugs with such impunity uh, down in Mexico. That
0: that discussion hurts my stomach because it also makes me think of Afghanistan. How our our weapons are going to be ending up in the wrong hand. But let's let's go back to drugs. I actually think fentanyl, if you think about it, is being used today, right now, as a weapon of mass destruction. If you if you make the analogy to COVID, an infectious disease, and however it sure. came, but that's like destroying our country, making us divided, then it's, it's hurting. Everyone health wise, economics and fentanyl is doing the same kind of thing in, in a very insidious sure. kind of way. So
1: and it's, it's devastating to the human brain. It's devastating to, to humans. And it's it's actually a magnificent drug when it's used medically. I've had fentanyl when I had my heart attack. And uh, I think it's a great drug if you use it the proper way. Of course, That's right. it's not in the proper hands. You know, it's it, it's, it can be uh, uh, just a, a tornado of destruction. Right,
0: Most people have had a colonoscopy too, have had some fentanyl. Let's switch to methamphetamines. Um, You talk about P2P methamphetamine and how it's causing terrible psychosis um, and how the method of P2P is different from previous types of methamphetamine.
1: Well, there's been a pre- there was a previous type. There's only two t- types that I know of. I'm sure there's others, perhaps. But the, when this story, there's really only been two. The, the, for many years, the Mexican trafficking world kind of industrialized, dominated the meth market, per- certainly in the United States, uh, uh, with the use of, of a chemical known as ephedrine, which is uh, very easily transformed chemically into meth. They could get it; it was legal. It's using antihistamines. It's using Sudafed pills. All that. And it's very easy to get um, and, and um, they were able to get that locally, but then import a lot of it on world markets. In fact, uh, this dates back to really like the late 80s, early 90s. They figured out if we go to India and China and, and Hong Kong, places like that, we can get all this stuff just shipped in them. And they did. That allowed them to really industrialize the amounts of, uh, of, of meth that they were making in factories and that and the, the, the weapons that they used. And the control of law enforcement that they had allowed them to put in, in fact, laboratories that really didn't move, you know, didn't have to move. Um, And then in 2008, the Mexican government made ephedrine illegal, and and except for a few chemical companies to uh, uh, to use. And um, so what happened was they had to change. Now, there is another method of making methamphetamine that just does not involve ephedrine. It involves a lot of different chemicals. It involves a precursor known as uh, phenyl-2-propanone, P2P, as you say. They figured out that P2P had many drawbacks, but it had one very, very important benefit, and that was that it could be made... Um, uh, from a variety of chemicals. of chemicals there was no way you could really regulate and control the bottle bottleneck production the way that the government did with ephedrine because you if you didn't, didn't make p2p one way you could make it another way and not that way a third there's many many ways of making p2p uh the, this essential uh, component in this one way and so they began to do that what that allowed them to do was create supply which is what we are now seeing in the last i would say seven years across the united states from maine now and where never had, new hampshire and vermont never had any meth to la which has always had it um since the mexican trafficking world got involved in it um you were seeing unbelievable just staggering supply so much that the prices has, has dropped by like 80 percent 90 percent in May, almost everywhere in the in the country yeah and and that has been possible because of p2p meth because they have access to ports they have access to world chemical markets and they can make as much of that stuff all year round no no seasons no weather um, uh, is important anymore it's just how much chemical you can get the problem is as they did this and they figure out how to how to how to how to divide the meth. So the worthless meth they take and they throw away. They dump it in the countryside of Mexico and rivers and wherever else. It's it's. You are talking about
0: the isomers, the L isomer and the D isomer.
1: Yes, right, yeah. right, uh, okay. exactly. The D meth, you know. And so they're sending that stuff, and they they have figured out how to do that. No other tra- trafficker, ha- according to DA chemists I've talked talked to, have has ever underworld chemist has ever figured out on mass industrial ways of ma- of separating those two meths. So you actually are only exporting the, the stuff that causes the psychoactive uh, reaction, and, and you're not, and the other stuff you don't. Uh, the problem is, the problem is that the chemicals in which they are making P2P meth, with which they're making chem- P2P meth, are all industrial toxic, toxic chemicals. <laughs> they're lye, cyanide benzene i mean all these you know hydrochloric acid
0: i'm sorry (laughs) acetone
1: all of that stuff all of that stuff it it is and so what has happened is as this meth has spread marched across the country really they got the first supplies became 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 bigger than anything we'd ever seen beginning in about 2013 14 on the west coast And then it kind of marches its way across, and you see supplies of this stuff reaching Midwest in about 2016, 17, by the spring of 17, for sure. And then another couple of years, and you see it up in Vermont and New Hampshire and places that never had meth before. The problem is that this stuff is not just uh, made with toxic chemicals. It also creates in the human brain symptoms of schizophrenia, of men, it, it renders people mentally ill very, very quickly. Yes. And this is generally again schi- symptoms of schizophrenia: paranoia, very scary paranoia, uh, hallucinations. You know, things coming out of the walls. It's and it happens very quickly. You remember the the meth, the meth. Um, uh, posters that used to show those folks with the mugshots.
0: This is your face six, on meth.
1: Five, six years of mugshots, and you'd see the gradual decay of the person. Maybe eight years, mm-hmm. whatever it was. It was a fairly long time. That's not what's happening now. It's happening very quickly. People no. go very quickly insane on this methamphetamine. It's creating a whole swath of mentally ill Americans all across the country. San Diego, uh, I guarantee it's going on down there. But no,
0: no, it, we're ground zero. We are exactly we are we are, exactly. we are ground zero. We're pretty much the meth capital of the world. I think
1: exactly, and and that is and, and so what this has done also is it has created horrible horrible problems with homelessness. Okay. A lot of homelessness now. Homelessness is, we speak about it as one thing. It's not one thing. There's a lot of different kinds of homelessness. There are p- families that you know lost a job and therefore. I have to live with other families on a garage sofa, say something like that. That's very different. That's a different kind of homelessness than the kind I'm talking about. But the kind I'm talking about is the very public homelessness that you see now in those tent encampments uh, in Skid Row or by the set of freeways or wherever. In L.A., it's it's quite notable uh, everywhere. It looks almost third worldy. And, and at Venice Beach, on Venice Beach, you know, they have these big I, encampments. I that, feel like come.
0: I live in third world now. Yeah, I live in San exactly. Diego, but I have to like go literally walk over bodies to get to work.
1: Yes, exactly. And it's in terrible. Venice Beach, they called that whole area Methlehem <laughs> instead of Bethlehem, you know. And, and so what's, got, what's happened is this meth that's coming out of Mexico now is not only addicting people and doing bad things to their teeth, and it is turning people insane. Absolutely <laughs> insane. And it the, the which lasts, sad. I've been told by a lot of folks, I've talked to a lot of folks about this now, even sometimes after people stop using, it takes a while, it takes months for a brain to recover from the damage, this deep, profound, yeah. scary, almost existential damage. that They've done that-
0: PET scans and you could actually see holes in the brain. The good thing yeah. is if you stop there, you can recover, but you're right. It does take some time. Yeah. Um, and it's again, working in the emergency department, this is, this is my bread and butter. Unfortunately, it's very hard to find someone who's homeless, who's not on methamphetamine and the exacerbation of psychosis and agitation. I see, um, you know, law enforcement and paramedics coming in and somebody who's having a terrible violent agitated delirium they have no idea and then i come in as this five foot doctor and (laughs) administer more drugs a big
1: question then is how do you treat for drug addiction somebody who you cannot really communicate with that is a big big question facing treatment folks now the other question of course is
0: you have to get control of the situation first you have to deal with the emergency first
1: and so that's what may i think what's happening is very often er's are kind of becoming a little bit to resemble jails, because you have to control people. You know, you can't just say, whatever, just go where, you know, that you can't just sit, sit in the waiting room for a while. No, the, the people won't won't sit quietly and, and peacefully. Well, I we wouldn't
0: want to call us jails, because we're providing medical care.
1: And- no, when I didn't say you were becoming you were jails. You come <laughs> to resemble certain certain things that you're doing now have to control people. Whereas, I, I've seen this in other places, I'm not sure your place, but But in other places, we have
0: patients who come in with what's called agitated delirium or excited delirium, and it's a violent reaction. And you're right, we have to physically control them when we control them chemically to sedate them and allow them to detoxify, and then hopefully have a conversation. The problem with methamphetamine somebody could come in drunk, okay, and they don't know what's going on. They sober up in a few hours, and then you can have a conversation. Um, uh, Marijuana, um, cocaine, methamphetamine, it could take three days to detoxify and be able to have a conversation. And that's what's impacting our emergency departments. And I would say, I wouldn't say our emergency departments are like a jail. I'd say that they're like a psych ward. Um,
1: Well, yes, right. Yeah, in the book, one of the places I I talk about is is an ER in Columbus, Ohio, where they've had to put metal over the TVs, metal casings, you know, all this kind of stuff to prevent and they, they don't do certain things anymore. They used to have, uh, they used to put the TV on, on Sundays and people would, would some people would come in off the street to watch a football game. Right. And now because of the, 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 the meth users, it's just not possible to, to do that. They're out of their minds and they, they cannot, you know, and this is the other, but the problem is really how do you treat someone who, who is, who is insane. Now I've heard, people now about your experience, of course, on that, but on this, but, but I've heard uh, people say uh, for a lot of the people we're dealing with, it's not, it's, it's weeks, if not months before we can actually get to a place where their personality, once again, emerges, you know, right. so yeah. drugs, hijack all, think, your brain, but meth is much way. worse.
0: So I just want to clarify one thing for our audience. Methamphetamine is methamphetamine. It's not that yes. The P2P method or the ephedrine method is, is different. It's the same drug. What you're saying that's different is the in Mexico, they figured out a way to separate. Methamphetamine has both like the right hand and the left hand parts of the chemical to it. That's what the isomers are called. And they're able to separate the stuff that doesn't get you high, leave you just with the good stuff, you know, the, 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 the right hand of the drug, which is why it's so much more potent. Is that well, what you're- uh,
1: But I, I think uh, I, the truth is nobody quite knows. It, no one studied this. No, one's, no one has really even written about this. As far as I know, um, I've been surprised at how little there is. There was almost nothing on this. As a matter mm-hmm. of fact, even though I think it's, once you dig down into it, you could see the connection very easily. I think what's happening is what one guy uh, told me. Now, again, this is, I don't have a study to back this up. I'm just saying this sounds reasonable, plausible. And that is that the traffickers down there are not washing he, he said he was a former meth cook. So he knows a lot about how to make meth. And he was doing it for a long time before he got clean. And now he runs a rehab clinic. But he said to me, I think what's happening is that those guys are not washing their dope. And that doesn't mean washing it with rags and stuff. It means putting it through chemical washes that get rid of all the chemical residue uh, that, that is built up uh, in this, these processes that they, 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 they use. And, um, and that th- those, why should they, he said, you know, why would they, because if you, if you wash it, you lose weight and weight is profit. So why would you want to send up less? You've got this product, send it, who cares, right? You're not really concerned about the mental stability of your customers because you don't even, your customers are three or four levels removed. From That's who, very interesting. From
0: I'm, I'm going to have to research that to find out if it's sure. because we're getting more of the l the, or the, you know, less, you know, the more, the stronger isomer or is it the contaminants that's in the method that's making? It's a, it's a great question. Like and the truth is
1: um, all I can tell you is what I, what I've re- reported. And that is that, that the folks that I've talked to all across the country report a major shift, a major change, a switch. They're very dramatic. You can talk to people who have been meth users during this change and they will talk to you about it. Um, and I have. Um, and people who are treatment treatment counselors who were working before and after, and they they are very eloquent on this topic, that there was a shift when they changed to P2P meth. What is it about P2P meth that that is creating this? I don't know, nor do I think anybody truly has ever studied it. However, I would say that when you dig down into into, um, ERs, meth encampment uh, tent encampments, I'm sorry, um, a lot of the homelessness, you will find that meth is there, and it very quickly renders people um, just incapable of, of, of living in a, in, a, in, in a world where they have to follow rules, where they have to actually communicate with people, where they can't one, wander around at three in the morning with a knife, stabbing the wall, and that kind of thing. So whatever, whatever the reason is, I mean, to my way of thinking, the, PT, the, 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 uh, the, the ephedrine meth was pretty pure meth. They could make that very easily. They were very good at it. They could do all of that. What's not? That's that's not so. What's different? I don't believe. I believe what's different is that they now have to use all these very toxic chemicals, and some of that is remaining in the stuff. However, I'm willing to bow to whoever wants to deeply, deeply study it. All I know is that there's a clearly a connection between it and mental illness, it and homelessness, it perhaps also and also involved shootings because the, these people yeah. are on the street thinking they're going up against Martians or whatever they think. Yeah. it's a, it's extraordinarily de- debilitating, sad, frightening sometimes. And those of you in the ER world are, are seeing it like every, every night. Yeah.
0: It's, it's actually, it's a problem. We actually call 911 for ourselves, for our own safety a few times a month because of, because it's a it's a it's a tough place sure. to work a violent place to work you make some profound comments on the marijuana industry as well you stated marijuana legalization opened up the methamphetamine trade in mexico and you also say that we um and i agree with you have not learned our lessons from the opioid epidemic with big pot and you rewrite very succinctly pot has may sure. have medical benefits, opiates have medical benefits, but supplies matter. There's a theme here, supply matters, and, and so does potency and marketing and distribution. And then thank you very much for being brave and, and stating that.
1: Oh, sure. I mean, that's what my research and reporting has shown. I didn't get into this to, to write that. I didn't start my, my book saying, I'm going to write a, something that, that criticizes the pot, uh, pot world or legalized pot. I'm just noting that this is what I've found as I've done this. Um, so when we began to legalize marijuana, that meant a lot of marijuana producers down in Mexico uh, really couldn't make, they couldn't make a living, but not the living they were used to. I think that's really kind of where, where, where they were going with that. Uh, a lot of them, this happened about the time that, that, that meth was, at, first of all, a major industry, became, had become a major industry, and then number two, um, as as um, the P2P meth um, made it easier for just almost anybody to produce the stuff because there was so many p- prevalent chemicals. It was just so much more easy for just anybody. And so a lot of people got out of marijuana. Now, you might think the idea is, well, they're going to get out of marijuana and they're going to go into winemaking or watermelons or cucumbers <laughs> well, or <man>. something <laughs> like that. But the problem is, Nobody who is risen, risen in Mexico, I could tell you this, I lived in Mexico for 10 years, wrote two books about the country. Nobody who starts out as a ranchero, poor guy, campesino farmer, rises to the middle class or above through drug trafficking is going to go back to ranchero farming. It doesn't make any money. It's hard work. They don't want to do it. I, I don't, frankly don't blame them sometimes, honestly. But mm-hmm. well, what they do get into then, what was, what was available was then methamphetamine. And so people found that they could get even wealthier because the chemicals again were so prevalent in that part of Mexico, that western coast of of Mexico, where they have these two ports that are essential to the story, you've got you've got so many people saying, "I can, I'll do that, sure." Or, I've got a, my brother in law worked in a lab. Let's get together and we'll make we'll put her in our own lab, that kind of thing. And they're very rudimentary, but they have the enormous production capacity. They've learned, and so what you're finding is a lot of people are moving into. Um, Um, methamphetamine production because also there's almost an economic justice component to it. You can get big quicker with marijuana. You had to sell to a middleman frequently. You just didn't have the infrastructure to get your pot North across the border. Now it's much easier with, with meth. It's not quite as bulky and it's just easier to make it's easier to make it year round. You can't, you don't have to wait four months and all that stuff. Um, And then um, so, so that is how meth has really uh, grown from the remnants of what was the, the very, very vast and very um, uh, uh, well, widespread um, uh, uh, Mexican pot industry, which still exists, but not to the degree that it once did, for, for sure. Um, my feelings about legalized pot are that I, I do believe there is, um, it, it ought to be considered, but we are, we are, um, we are missing all the lessons from the opioid epidemic <laughs> aren't right? we
0: it's crazy uh,
1: so we're, what are like what are some of the lessons of the, op- the same. <laughs> yeah what are some of the lessons of the opioid epidemic beware <laughs> beware of a drug that is legal that is very potent and that is marketed with wide and almost unprovable claims or broad claims about its completely, about its almost virtually risk-free nature. That was the story of the opioid epidemic. That's what opioids wow. were legal, very potent, widely available a- after a while, certainly, and easily available from many, many doctors in whatever region you want to talk about in the country, and, and um, marketed with the, with the idea that there's no risk, virtually no risk, no addictive risk, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that is what we have done with the pot industry, or uh, with marijuana. We have legalized it with this idea that it's just pot, dude. You know, uh, it does, It's 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 legal. It's the problem is it's extraordinarily potent. Now it wasn't,
0: and they're using this type of marketing claims, right? Even the CEO of Purdue is now a CEO for Big Pot. Um, yeah. No, right? these are
1: market marketing claims that really that's beneficial, and and you know this is the same group. You know, I mean, I remember when Joe Camel Camel cigarettes was marketing Joe Camel. Yeah. People got very upset at at, at at cigarettes being marketed to children. Rightfully so, I thought that was a that was correct.
0: But this is well, marketing. what are gummies?
1: What are yeah. candy, Mott pot right. candy, and all this kind of Cheetos,
0: stuff? Cheetos, Cheetos,
1: all Cam. all of that, stuff. It, all it, that it, stuff. To me, it feels like we have just Run through the all the all the all the concerns without any because you know what it's just pot. From the questions have not changed. The marijuana has the question is what um, should we legalize marijuana? Well, if the answer is yes, thirty years ago it was fine to just do it. But now the question is what pot do we legalize? Do we legalize eighty percent THC, thirty percent THC? My feeling is that if we were really responsible and adult about this, we would, we would legalize marijuana with uh, 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 THC levels of no more than 10%. And we would spend the next decade using the money from the taxes, which are supposedly going to generate, we'll, we'll see, yeah. um, to fund all kinds of infrastructure that we don't have of inspection, inspecting where pot's grown, inspecting the stores where it, you know, they're, they're just like any grocery store, just like any liquor store. Uh, we monitor
0: do it like food, you know, like, exactly. uh, like a food, you know, if there's a salmonella outbreak, there's a recall. Yeah,
1: right. exactly. That's and we need, yeah. we need that same government intrusion, frankly, in the pot market that has been the case in food, wine, beer, yeah, cigarettes, et cetera, et cetera, it's et cetera, all the same thing. Uh, we also need to use that money to, to help law enforcement uh, 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 recognize when people are driving stoned, there's a whole bunch of things that we need to use that money for. Meanwhile, we need to do a variety of studies that show what is the effect on the developing prefrontal cortex of every 19 year old of a 19 year old. I think brain. we
0: already know that. you know the, the data is out there a lot. On that. Um, we know that um, your brain is growing until the age 25 or or longer. And your chance of addiction is four to seven times higher. If you use marijuana, alcohol, tobacco, anything that's addicting. Um, And with marijuana, we also know, and we've done this now studies with thousands of patients, um, and even millions, if you go to Europe, that shows with continued use, you can have psychosis permanent psychosis that results in schizophrenia
1: right so all all of this it would seem to me would give us some humility yeah that's what i'm looking for societal humility we don't know what we're doing we don't do it very well it's much better to go very slowly
0: i say follow the science we we we're telling everyone follow the science with covid it's like okay let's Let's follow the science with marijuana, right. too, not just uh, with. COVID. And, you know,
1: the other thing that strikes me as, as very odd, I have to say, is that um, with uh, marijuana grows very well in the sun. And, 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 and during a time when we are facing the existential threat of climate change, why are we making it legal for people to grow Pot indoors with all that carbon footprint that each of oh, those. Oh yeah, it's uh, huge. Products. That's
0: very interesting. You, you know, it, like, yeah. it makes
1: no sense. It also seems to me that the environmentalists we are missing, should
0: be very much opposed to to that.
1: Right? I, I, you would think, and that's yeah, one yeah, of right. the reasons I didn't vote for uh, uh the uh, proposition, whatever is nineteen and back in, or whatever there was sixteen oh, back in two thousand nineteen. I didn't vote against it because there was no control of, of potency. There was no control of indoor growing. There was none of that stuff. There was no, it was, it was all very poorly. A lot of it was poorly done, I felt. The mm-hmm. other thing is that we are missing the great lesson of prohibition. Prohibition, you know, before prohibition, anything went, you know, it was just well, anybody could drink, kids could drink, etc. was a horrible thing. Then nothing was allowed. Everybody, every, you could do anything, then nothing was allowed. 13 years of, of the Volstead Act in and, 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 and the 20s and 30s, and, and nothing was allowed. During that time, what we developed, what developed, because it was unregular, is the underworld, we developed all this bathtub hooch made with all kinds of toxic crap and, and gives you the jerks, you know, and people walking yeah. around and, and that, that kind of stuff. Poison. We decided that neither we decided to 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 once again legalize uh, alcohol, but control it very effectively. I think we've done, yeah. frankly, yeah. Yeah. and and keeping in mind that you know that it's it's most of the alcohol is is, is controlled, three percent, seven percent. Yes, you can buy more potent stuff, but um, in general, all- you
0: could trust what you're buying. I'm sorry. In general, you could trust what you're buying with alcohol.
1: Exactly, and 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 you can you kind it's all very well controlled, and the taxation schemes are all very well um, uh, watched, and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. And and I think that's what we need to do with marijuana. The 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 high potency eighty percent, ninety percent THC marijuana is just the marijuana equivalent of that bathtub hooch. We don't want to be selling that. At 7-Eleven or any other Green Cross store that you might see along, that's that's crazy. It it yeah. it it, it's, it boggles the mind. It also shows that what our real interest in our real interest is not science, nor is it the protection of of, of people. It's in follow the money, commerce, <laughs> yeah, just commerce. And what we are seeing now, of course, is the growth of yet another major moneyed interest in our economy that which we do not need another one of, and that is big pot. So I generally am in favor of legalizing this kind of thing. If we go retrench significantly and we watch what we're doing and we take it very, very, very slowly and we don't think we have all the answers because we don't. And we. And pay unfortunately, attention.
0: we're not doing that.
1: No, we are not. No, yeah. of course, because Big Pot is managing everything and and there's a, a lot of money and interests uh, behind this and there's frankly a lot of interest in the population among folks who don't know the truth maybe they were smoking pot when they were 17 in 1978 or, or and, and they just think marijuana is um, marijuana. I think that the damage is is it can be and I think is right now being done uh, from this extraordinarily hyperpotent marijuana and so that is where I used to believe when I lived in Mexico I was fervently in favor of all legal drug marijuana legalization, because I saw that marijuana was the gateway drug for all traffickers. Chapo Guzman was a marijuana grower before he was anything else. And so when I lived down there, I said to myself, this, we, if we do this, we would destroy this industry uh, down here, and that would be a good thing. Then, of course, facts changed. I yeah. learned more facts. I began to see mm-hmm. how it had actually worked out in the United States, and I had a very different you know perspective after that and and that's where my ideas began to change on what we it seemed to me wise wise to do but we've done none of those things you know
0: yeah there's um the other thing you do in the least of us is you you talk about various illicit drugs of addiction and you make the analogy and it's a true analogy that that addiction of sugar or food or video games or anything any type of addiction affects the same part of the brain but yes. i'm worried about um that um, that kind of argument because the consequences of addiction to methamphetamine is much different than drinking too much. Oh, sure. Yes, and of the, course. And the association of mental illness and homelessness and crime, and then the analogy of drugs and sugar um, helps a movement in America that wants to normalize drug use and increase drug use and making oh, sure that's
1: I mean, I'm telling, I'm tell- you know, the truth is, I have to tell you, doctor, I, I, those are not concerns that a reporter needs to uh, ought to uh, uh, be, be worried about.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If you worried about how your story was going to be used, you would never write anything. You, you can't predict it. And I believe in just telling the story that I, I saw a story that I thought was worth telling. And it involved this in these enormous concentrations of power in the legal world, providing all kinds of a horribly, a, I would say pretty strongly addictive stuff to, to Americans. And I think basically in a lot of cases, paving the way for drug addiction. Um, now directly, I know there's, it may be difficult to make that, that, that case, but my feeling is that we are, we, are, we are constantly immersed in a toxic soup of legal stuff that's, that's addictive. Sugar, social media, pornography, gambling, video games, t- uh, uh, cigarettes, and alcohol—on and on and on and on. There's so much stuff that is kind of priming the the brain. Not all, of course. Many, many, many. Most of us never get involved with with addictive uh, 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 illegal drugs, but but it, um, it does
0: help us relate. I, the, the good part of that analogy is it helps us relate to somebody who has a drug addiction, you know, like I love right, I chocolate, think- you know, I like I can't live without it, almost, but so you can kind of understand or relate to somebody who has an addiction to something else, because it's the same part of the brain, but it's not the right. same consequences and so I think it doesn't require the same you um,
1: know, and frequently regulation there
0: and, you know, you don't yeah. need police officers to, to monitor your sugar control or your video game control.
1: No, so, of course not. Yeah, of course not. But it, it, and, and sometimes it doesn't have the uh, another key key symptom of drug addiction, which is uh, very, very uh, difficult withdrawals like opioids have. Um, it doesn't always have, or if it does, I mean, I've withdrawn, I believe I've withdrawn off sugar and I've withdrawn off tobacco <laughs> and, I know that they're nothing similar to what a, a person withdraws off of that goes through when withdrawing off of, of, uh, of heroin, but there, there is a consequence. It's you're, you're absolutely right though. Of course, it's, it's, it's the, the, the consequences are not quite, quite the same. I think the idea was to say, connecting all this up to the title of the book, the least of us is to say that we all have the least of us within us. That's kind of like the last word of the book. In fact, yeah. the least of us lies true. within us all. Beautiful. We all are that addict eating from the trash. You know, yeah. we all are, are, uh, have that propensity. It's no longer somebody, oh, that guy's a disgusting uh, failure. And I'm, we, if, if we, if we take the, the Bible seriously, we are that person too, you know, and, and we ought to think in those terms and we all are the least of us. It's another way in which that title made sense, uh, 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 frankly. Um, How people use stuff, um, though, I I have to say that's just not the role of a journalist. You just tell the story that's there, and I've done my very best, and you do your very best, and put an effort in and try to understand as many different perspectives, and you come to your own conclusions, your own understanding based on your research, and you write it that way. Um, people will use if, again, if you had to think about all the ways in which people would use your story, you would sit paralyzed in a corner, never doing anything, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, that I, True I, I purposefully don't take into consideration. I know that sounds weird, but, but
0: that's, good. But that's an independent pure.
1: journalist talking.
0: Um, Sam, this has been a wonderful project and you said like, you know, you, uh, rusting from it, but do you have any idea of what you're going to do next? Do you have ideas? <laughs>
1: oh, or man. Just rest and recover. Um, <laughs> I am going to, uh, you know, no. Um, I've got a few little ideas. Mm-hmm. But right now, I just want to kind of wait. I'm still almost in shock from uh, having finished the book. You know, oh. I wander around going, what do I have to write today? And uh, nothing, really. Just send out emails to people who might be interested in the book. That's all you got to do. So oh. that's what I'm doing now.
0: Well, Congratulations.
1: And, yes, and, thank and, you.
0: And I invite you to San Diego for any future research. I'd love to show you our emergency department and our collaborative oh, sure. community. I, I chair a task force called Credo Community Response to Drug Overdose, where our vision is to do contact tracing not just for COVID or infectious disease, but for overdoses and bring the, yeah. the I call it the three Ps together: public health, public safety, and prevention. Um. So wonderful, to, wonderful to stuff. And I think that's San Diego.
1: That's I would love to. I, I love San Diego. I get down there a fair amount. When I was living out there, now I'm living in Nashville, but um, I'll be here for a little bit. But uh, next time when I'm back out there, when I which I hope to be sometime soon, um, I'd love to be uh, get out there with you. It's just, um, uh, again, you're part of what is going on all across uh, this country. I don't believe there's many areas in this country that don't see some version of what you see um, down there in San Diego. So, um uh, keep it going and keep up the good work. Is all I can say. It's 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 tough stuff, but it's uh, the country relies uh, on what y'all are doing.
0: And I think that's kind of your your final advice to uh, Jim Creedon, who who had the question for you today and for your readers. Your your great advice is uh, continue what the the least of us are doing to help our communities. Right, and
1: continue with with the small steps towards community repair. That is so important, I believe. You know, we don't spend, we, we think in terms of, of, of things needing, you know, big splash, again, big splashy answers to our problems. And frequently, I don't believe that's true on the neighborhood level, family level, neighborhood, whatever, community level, school level, church level. It's small stuff. It's really small stuff that we just have gotten away from. Knowing each other, hanging out with each other, being outside with other Americans, for God's sakes, what a concept. Yeah, you know, so
0: that's great. I really want to thank Jim Creedon for his question for today's episode. Um, he does the small steps, but in a big way, um, helping our youth in education, in schools, in prevention, which I think great. is key very key in, in stopping the, the um, overdoses and addiction. And I really want to thank you, Sam, for, for Dreamland and for the least of us, your books. Help us understand addiction, explain where they come from, help eliminate stigma, tell us what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong, and really give us an outline and rec- Covering as a nature so as a nation so i really thank you for that
1: oh you're so welcome dr leva really appreciate the, the 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 interest and thank you very much for taking the time to chat appreciate it
0: thank you for listening the high truths on drugs and addiction where national experts give you facts and answer your questions This week's episode would not be possible without the generous support from our sponsors. A sincere and warm thank you to CCR, Center for Community Research in San Diego, enhancing public health and safety through informed action. If you would like to sponsor a show, we would be honored and grateful. Please contact us on hightruths.com. We thank you for listening and hope you will help our rating by giving us five stars and subscribe so you won't miss any of our informed, packed weekly shows. Visit our website, hightruths.com, to submit a question, take a quiz, or download a free prescription for naloxone. Until next week, this is High Truths on Drugs and Addiction. Our producer is Dave Rivas from Davey Boy Productions. I am your host, Dr. Onit Lev, and we hope we brought your day a little bit more High Truths.